those, there, were, there were people here Wednesday night when we did the, uh, the state of the church. And um, I went over the finances and the amount of money that had come in this past year, the amount of money we had spent, and just a big chunk of it was the property and the pavilion and, and to have no debt at all. And uh, it's such a God thing. And, and Roger said, um, hey, just, you know, help me here a second. But did, did you preach a sermon on giving last year? And I went, wait, 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 just a second. <laughs> Let me give you a warning before you say anything. This Sunday, <laughs> the irony that he was, he said, yeah, but I'm talking about last year. I said, no, I didn't, I didn't do a thing specifically on giving. And, uh, and so he, he talked about the amazing generosity and the fact, you've got to have a revelation of giving and understand that that's life and it's, it's increase to, to want to give. You know, you've, you've got to have something to help with that. And um, I've, I've got a really cool passage to end with, but I'm going to start off sort of dark. And um, so there's a couple of different places we're looking at. And I'll just, I'll just say here at the beginning, we're, so we're still in January, it's still, you know, all the all the prophetic people are saying year of open doors, which totally with that, there are things that the Lord has spoken to me. One of the, um, one of the passages about doors, in fact, it may be the very first, is Genesis 4 with Cain. The Lord said, you got a door, and sin is crouching at the door. And you must master it. And so, um, I, if you listen to those little two-minute videos I do, I, I actually covered that in one of them. And um, so that's where I'm starting. Is Cain? Um, because not only is it the first time I think that I mean you could make a an argument that the angels are set at the door to the, you know, the gate or whatever. But, but he says door right there when he's talking to, to Cain. And um, it's also the first time that it's about offerings. And the first sin was a sin against God. This is the second sin covered and it's against the fellow man. And it's the worst sin possible. It's murder. It's premeditated murder. It's not even in passion. It's a premeditated murder. And it's connected with offerings. Imagine that. Offerings. And a door. And so... Um, so that's where we're going to start. But we'll end at a place that's pretty good because everybody wants to give and the Lord actually stops the offering, which Bobby can't really imagine. He'd, he'd like to be in a place that he has to do that, but he's never, 
He's never stood up and said, no, that's enough. <laughs> you know, so. but, they, but they did. They did in Exodus, and we'll look at that as well. So, uh, so that gives you an idea of where we're heading. And um, if you've been around a long time, you've heard me tell this before, but, but um, I learned about tithing very, very young. And not everybody believes in tithing. Um, but if you don't believe in tithing, then I guess you believe in becoming a living sacrifice. And everything you have is the Lord's, right, <laughs> in your life, which is the thing. It is the thing because it's not just, uh, if you believe in tithing, it's not just about tithing. It's supposed to be tithes and offerings, you know. So, But um, my dad, of course, this was years ago, and money was worth different things. He would give me a dime for Sunday school. And, and he would say, I'm giving you this dime because a tenth belongs to God, you know. And so I always had a dime, and a dime was... You know, you had stores that were five and dimes, you know, because they bought things, you know. Now you have dollar stores that you can't really get anything for a dollar, <laughs> but it's called dollar stores. But we used to have five and dimes. And, um, and so from my earliest church memories, I was aware of the tithe. And... Um, because of that, I've always tithed. Um, I was, my dad died when I was 12, and because of that, when, when I got to be 18, the uh, Social Security Administration basically said, if you'd like to go to work, quite, that's fine. Your mother's portion of Social Security will go down a third because there were three children, and it was based on your children. Or if you'd like to go to school, well, you'll get that third. But it wasn't enough to put me through school. But I had Social Security every month. And I also worked to put myself through school. In fact, I ended up becoming an intern out at Warehouser. They don't have this program that I'm aware of now. They may. Well, there's not a Warehouser except a piece of it. But, but anyhow, uh, it was always interesting during the intern intern introductions because it was like they'd go through and they'd say pulp and paper, North Carolina State University, that would be, you know. And then there'd be somebody electrical engineering, Duke University. And then there'd be somebody like rambling wreck of Georgia Tech. No, I don't know why they, but you know. <laughs> and then they'd get to me and I'd say psychology, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. <laughs> and they all go, what? <laughs> Wood products. And then, and then my buddy next to me was also psychology, UNC, because it's who you know. Favor comes through who you, it comes through relationships. And so, so we got blessed. And, and I got blessed to the point that I could literally come home on a break and go to the mill and work. And I was making more than people my age because I was out at the mill. So I would come home on a spring break and work for a week, you know. So one year I actually had to pay money back to Social Security because I made too much money myself part-time to keep what they gave me. 
I didn't have to pay a whole lot back, but, but that's what I'm saying. I was, I was working and putting myself through school. And through all that, I was tithing and giving offerings. It's just always been with me. And so, um, when I talk about giving, I'm talking about something that is my habit. It's what I do. And, and, and I don't just give money here. I, I give some money every month to several ministries apart from River City. And I, and I try to give tithes and offerings to River City. So, um, so it's a serious subject. And the reason I say it's a serious subject is because it starts off with Cain and Abel. It's life and death. It, offerings, giving, reveals your heart. Yes, Danny, that's true. <laughs> and, and so, so we're going to look because it's right there in Scripture. It's right there that it does. So we'll, we'll just, I'm hitting the button. I hit the button a while ago and everything happened. I've hit the button twice. Nothing has happened. I'll try again. Nothing. One more time. Nothing. I don't know. Oh, there you go. Thank you. It was, it was Greg walking from the video command center toward. <laughs> so uh, where we're heading is Exodus 36, 7, which is a really cool place. Um, they were already, uh, they already had, was more than enough to do all the work. And so that's where we're heading, but we're starting off in Genesis. So uh, here's Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, and so chapter 3 has ended with them getting ejected from the garden with the angels there and the flaming sword uh, back and forth at the entrance. Um, and so first couple of verses is about how Adam and Eve had children. And so picking up at verse 3, in the course of time, Cain, you know, Cain and Abel, Cain, there's a lot of things that Cain could mean, and it's not totally sure, but one of the things that Cain can mean is possessor. Possessor. That's interesting, isn't it? Possessor. And, and the thought is that Cain and Abel were, were not just brothers, but they were twin brothers. Have, have nothing there in Scripture to say for sure about that. But Jewish tradition is that they were twin brothers and that Cain was the eldest. Uh, Abel means vapor or breath, which is interesting since he died young, obviously, for that time. Um, so in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. That's important. Some of the fruits of the soil. And Abel also brought an offering. Notice the description of Abel's offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So Cain had chosen to be a farmer and uh, Abel had chosen to be a shepherd. 
So Cain brought from the produce he had produced, but notice it doesn't even say he brought first fruits because the idea in a tithe, for example, is you bring the first fruit. So, so there's no reason for me to do this, but I typically write my tithe check on a Sunday or a Monday. So we get paid, I got paid today, so I'll probably write my check for next Sunday, today or tomorrow, because I'm trying to keep it in my mind that it's first fruit, even though I won't give it till next week. I've got this first fruit mentality that that check needs to be written before the electric bill or whatever other bill, that it's first fruits. And you can see that right here. It does not say, it says he brought of the fruits of the soil. It does not say first fruits, but with Abel it says first fruits. So Abel brought probably a lamb and probably a firstling since his last offering. I don't know when his last offering was. And so it was the idea with the first fruit is I'm giving you the first of the harvest or the first of the herd or whatever, trusting that you're going to give me more. I'm going to give the first thing to you, Lord, in faith that there will be more to come. Recognizing that God is the one who gives you the sustenance, right? So that's what the first fruits is about. And um, so right here, just with this, there's a couple of interesting things. The scriptures don't point this out. You may have heard sermons about this that are very, you know, like absolutely, but just you got to know that it doesn't actually say this. We're just sort of extrapolating, right? When man and woman sinned, God killed an animal as a sacrifice, sin was paid for by blood. And then he used the animal skins to cover them, which is a prefiguring of atonement being covered, which is a prefiguring of Jesus being the Lamb of God, who's the atoning sacrifice, the covering for us, right? The mercy seat is the covering of the ark. The mercy seat covers symbols of rebellion. The Ten Commandments and the manna and the, the rod are all symbols of rebellion. There were times of rebellion are in the chest, but the mercy seat covers it. And so Abel, like God, brought a sacrifice where blood was involved. And brought first fruits. It again does not say that Cain brought first fruits. So Cain is bringing produce, not necessarily the best of his harvest, but he's bringing something. And just to be aware, the ground had been cursed. So he's bringing produce from the curse to give to God to try to atone 
which means he either does not understand atonement or he doesn't think he needs it. Now we're extrapolating, right? Based on what this says. And that's exactly where people are today. There are people who know they can't make it without God. And so it's reasonable to them to be a living sacrifice, that God owns them, themselves and everything they have comes from God. And then there are people who really don't want to have anything to do with God or maybe are all involved in church, but they bring things to the table that come from their own strength and they see themselves as good enough. And then by the time you get to the end of this chapter, Lamech kills people, and he may have killed Cain that God had put a sign on. And he said, if, if God's going to avenge Cain seven times, he's going to have to do me like, I don't know, 70 times or 700. He says something all, all we would say, cock full of himself here in the East, you know, kind of thing. But... But he's basically saying, I ain't worried about God at all. So you have, you have a sin that's against God because of the doubt that the serpent planted and God deals with it. And then you have a sin against a brother, against another man. And then by the time you get to Lamech, you've got somebody who's totally unconcerned and unrepentant and is killing people. Does that make sense? So it's the progression of sin. So all that's in the first couple of sentences, right? <laughs> so the Lord looked with favor. And favor, if you, if you tease that thing out in Hebrew, it means favor. <laughs> it's, it's saying that the Lord examined the gift. He examined the offering. And offering, offering is like gift, tribute, sacrifice. It could be a sacrifice with blood or a sacrifice without blood. One reason that you say that is because this, this word is being used of Cain's offering as well, you know. And that's a sacrifice without blood, be whatever it was, you know, kind of thing. So, so um, the Lord looked at the sacrifice that Abel brought. And no doubt, as he's looking at the sacrifice, he's not just looking at the sacrifice, but he's looking at the heart of the one who brings the sacrifice. And he sees a man who's declaring that he's dependent on God and that only God can cover him. And so he looks with favor on the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, and on the heart of the one who brought the sacrifice. Does that make sense? Okay. And then verses 5 and 6. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So he looked at the fruit. Maybe there were bruised apples and oranges. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were all okay. I don't know. But not first fruits, and coming from the ground that had already been cursed, 
as a result of sin, one of the consequences of sin. Because everything produced easily in the garden, and when they were ejected from the garden, the ground resisted producing and produced thorns and thistles as readily as anything that men planted. So he did not look with favor. So he's looking, he's examining the, the offering that Cain brought and he's examining the heart of the one who brought the offering and he does not favor the sacrifice or the heart that brought it. So, I don't know exactly how God communicated that to Cain, but this is important. He communicated it to Cain. They had a relationship where the Lord talked to Cain. Remember, the Lord walked in the cool of the day with man and woman in the garden. God did not cut off communication with people after they were ejected. He's here talking to Cain personally. And it doesn't sound like it doesn't say Cain was flabbergasted that God's talking to him. This is some kind of habitual, regular thing. Right? I mean, later we're going to get in scriptures and the Lord's going to show up, you know, just by sending Gabriel. And remember, Daniel comes undone and falls all out one time. One time, they realized that they saw probably Jesus in the, in the you know, pre-carnate thing. And the people, I think it was Samson's dad, said, oh, we're dead now. And the mom says, uh, idiot husband, if he was going to kill us, he wouldn't have, you know what I mean? I mean, he didn't go through all this to kill us now, you know. So, so it's a big deal when God shows up later. It's not a big deal to Cain. This is a regular deal with him. He's used to talking to God. Do you, do you understand? Because there's nothing that says he's flipped out or that he falls like a dead man or anything, that, that that's indicating that this is a regular thing he's used to. Good? Okay, good. So Cain knows God to the point that he's willing to be angry in front of God. And his face was downcast. I mean, it looks like, like, like just with my dad. My dad. So it's my birthday, so I'll think of an old thing. So I've done something wrong, and my dad comes in. And one of the things I'm not going to do is look like I'm angry at dad. Maybe you did that, but I'm an eldest child and I knew that that would create more problems. And so I would try to get myself together and at least look repentant. <laughs> and if not, <laughs> you know, smiling or whatever. And then the Lord said to Cain, now Cain is looking angry and his face is downcast. The Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Parents parallel. Well, what's this about? Yeah. Are any of my children in here? No, I can tell stories if I want to. Genesis 4, 7. 
And the Lord says, look, this is not, he's not upbraiding him or punishing him. He simply says, why are you looking like that? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? Which says, again, without saying it out loud, says that Cain knew what he should have done and didn't do it. Because God doesn't say, here, let me school you on how you should do this and let me teach you. He's, don't you know that if you do it right, you're going to be accepted, you know? So he had purposely not done it right. But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. And sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You must control it. You must master it. Now, this is important because this is before Jesus comes and before we got the Holy Spirit inside. And in that day, the Lord says, listen, buddy, the door to your heart has a demon beast crouched there ready to devour you. But also at that door, with that demon beast, you have the ability to overcome him. In fact, one of the things about the word sin in this context is it's the same word that you would use for a sin offering, which is pretty, pretty cool because seriously, at the door of our hearts, we choose whether we will have sin or the sin offering, which is Jesus. Jesus has served as our sin offering, right? So we make decisions all the time at the doorposts of our heart on whether it will be the opportunity to walk with the Lord or the adversary, the opponent who wants to kill us. And we have the ability, the Lord has already told us, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. So we already have a hedge of protection that whatever is crouching at my door is something I can deal with. And I have the Spirit of God within me to assist me in dealing with it. And I have the blood of Jesus, not to get ahead of myself here because we're headed that way, that's given me victory. So sin is crouching. So if you look at this, God is talking to him. He's not rejecting him. He's saying, you know what to do. And if you do what you know what to do, you'll be accepted. But whatever this thing was that was going on with him, the Lord said, if you continue to go with this, you're going to get killed. But you've got to overcome it. Everybody good? And, and totally, totally befuddling to me, Cain says, I'm going to do it myself. You, you've just, you just had a conversation with the Lord God Almighty, and this is how he chooses to respond. He's making a choice. 
And he knows he's making a choice because God just told him he's making a choice. So 4.8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He's got a brother that he has spent his whole life with. If, if I remember correctly, this is about 130 years after the ejection from the garden. So, if they were born pretty quickly after the ejection, they're 130 years old. They've spent a lot of time together. Some people think that they may have even been born before they were ejected from the garden. But the odometer doesn't start till the ejection, right? So 130 years regardless, but maybe more. And, and it's his brother. Now, Adam and Eve have had other children. They had zillions of children. But these are the two mentioned because they're the eldest and because the story is here that, that they're, the Lord is telling us about. So the way Cain chooses to deal with what the Lord has said is a premeditated murder. He invites him out to the field. Deception. Right? He's inviting him out there with ulterior motives. He's not inviting him out there to play uh, chess. You know, I've got a board set up. Let's go out and play some chess. No, he's not inviting him out there for a meal. He's inviting him out to the field to get away from witnesses to kill him. And why does he want to kill him? Because Abel was accepted. Why was Abel accepted? Because Abel did what God had prescribed because Abel's heart was on God. And instead of correcting his own behavior and attitude, he decided to kill the one who was in right standing with God. It doesn't make any sense, but we see this happen over and over and over again. premeditated murder. And look, nobody had been killed before. Let me see if I can get this across. You, you know, do you know that Adam lived over 900 years after he was out of the garden? That regularly people are living hundreds of years People do not easily die before the flood. I've said this before, and some of you, I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but Jesus had to give up his ghost because they couldn't kill him because he had no sin, even though he was carrying our sin. That's the power, and it says this in a place, of an indestructible life. Amen. He had to allow it. Well, now Abel has sin, but he's living at a place where everything's like brand new. The only thing that Cain knew about killing was seeing animals sacrificed. 
So he slaughtered his brother. Now, when you, when you see a movie, typically on a movie, it looks like a fit of rage that all of a sudden he picks up a rock and hits him in the head kind of thing. But it's premeditated. He's taking him out there. on, a, And the only concept he has of killing is killing an animal. And Abel would have been hard to kill. So he slaughtered him. What kind of rage, what kind of anger, what kind of sin had been crouching at the door that enveloped him to the point that he just, pure madness. And that kind of thing happens all the time. We see that kind of thing. All, it it makes, makes no sense whatsoever. And it's there in Genesis 4. So he attacks his brother. He kills him. I guess we should move on. What time is it? It's 12-11. The ball games aren't till 3. I'm good. I'm good. Genesis 4-9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? How many of you know that when the Lord asks a question, it's not that he doesn't know the answer, right? Just like parents... So, my dad and I are outside. I've told this story before. I, I go into the garage. I go up the steps into the kitchen. He's still outside. And this cabinet here, and across from the cabinet is the refrigerator. This cabinet here is where the Oreos are. Oreo in my mouth. Close the cabinet. Pull this door. No time to get a glass. Chug, chug, chug in the refrigerator to my room, and then there's this voice that says, Danny. Yes, sir, because I said, sir. He said, did you just have an Oreo and some milk? <laughs> Lunacy. No, sir. Because you're going, how could he know? There's no way he could know. Danny, sir, less certain. You didn't just come in here and have an Oreo and milk. No, sir. Like, incredulous. What would possess you to think I would do something like that? And then it came, here comes the final nail. Danny, sir, you didn't just come in here and eat an Oreo and drink out of the milk container. <laughs> of course, I had left Oreo all over the spout, right, of the milk container. Why would he even look in at the milk? Why did he even do that? God talks to parents. He, he does. There's stuff all the time that, that you, there's no reason for you to know, but you go and check, and there you go, and you know, our children were like, no, the Lord talks to mama. Do not do that. <laughs> she will be up here. So, so he's asking this question, giving Cain a chance to confess, you know, kind of thing. 
And, and he asked him where Abel is. He says, I don't know. There's that famous line, am I my brother's keeper? Which is really interesting. What he's saying is, am I the shepherd's shepherd? Which is interesting because Adam was told to keep the garden. To be your brother's keeper is to do what Adam was told to do, which is to watch and to protect. So the very thing he was supposed to be watching and protecting from is what he allowed to control him. Because what you're watching for, if everything was doing fine in the garden, what was Adam supposed to watch for and protect from? the one who became the serpent. And Adam failed. He stood there silently while Eve had a conversation that he should have intervened and ejected the serpent from the garden. But he didn't. He had full authority and he, he remained silent. He had a responsibility. There's only, you know, uh, what's that thing we say? You had one job. <laughs> You had one job, right? And, and so the irony that here Cain is saying, am I the shepherd's shepherd? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We anointed the overseers. One of the images of the overseer is the shepherd. One of the images of every Christian, obviously, is sheep. We belong to the good shepherd but also that we become shepherds to shepherd other people, invest in other people. So let me go on. So the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out. Blood has a voice. Blood has a voice. Abel's blood, and it's really, I think, plural, bloods, because it's not just Abel's blood, it's every descendant he couldn't have were murdered as well. His whole line was taken out. You think, of, think about that. Hundreds of thousands of lives. How many millions of lives for his line to get to now were murdered when he was murdered? His bloods, plural, cried out. Lost lives. Cries out from the ground. So the ground is cursed, and now the cursed ground is calling out to the Father because of a murder that had taken place where blood was spilled on the ground that's already cursed. So let me, let me just finish up Genesis before we start doing... I'll try to go more quickly through Exodus. So here's a picture of people bringing offerings. The very first offering that we know about, where men bring offerings, and one has, has an attitude of gratitude, you know that old, that old saying, and one is focused totally vertically. It's all about the Lord. It's an expression of his dependence on the Lord, his faith that, that bringing this first fruit, this firstling, that the Lord will supply more. 
a dependence on him for increase and sustenance. And then the other one who brings something, whether you want to say as a religious thing, as an expectation, who shows no dependence on God, no desire for a relationship with God, who goes horizontal when, when he's called out on it, even to the point that after a conversation with the Lord, murders. It's two hearts. And if we were really staying just with that, the heart of Cain represents the world and the heart of Abel represents Jesus. Because Hebrews 12 says, Jesus' blood cries out with a better cry, basically, than Abel's blood. Because Jesus' blood cries up where it cries out where he spilled his blood, but it cries out for mercy. Whereas Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. Jesus came to offer us mercy when we deserve the consequences of our sin. And Jesus didn't just bring tithes and offerings. Jesus brought a living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to God. And when Jesus sat and watched the people making offerings at the temple treasury, the one he chose to speak of was the widow. Widow tells you she has no one to provide for her who brought all she had, which tells you if she brought all she had, she trusted God to take care of her. So for her to bring all she had, she was saying that she was devoted to the Lord. She was in a vertical relationship and that if she brought all she had, that God would not allow her to go without. And that's the one Jesus chose. Not the one who brought the most money. It was the one who brought the least money, but whose heart was totally devoted to him. Still true today? Right? So, Exodus 36. I like this passage because there's a place where, where the people of Israel are asked, whom will they serve? And they all holler, Yahweh, you know, kind of thing. Then there's another place where they're asked, basically, if Baal's God, serve him. If God's God, serve him. And they remain silent, just like Adam in the garden. They're silent. And that, if I remember correctly, is when Elijah did the, the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. And by the time it's over, they're saying, the Lord, he is God, which happens to be the name Elijah. El is God. Jah, the J-A-H, is Yahweh. The Lord, he is God. Yahweh is God. Right? So they're actually saying the name Elijah, but they're saying the Lord, he is God. 
This is one of those places where Israel shines. And it's just a nice contrast from that first offering to then look at this because there aren't many offerings that are, that are highlighted in Scripture, but this is one of those. So, Bezalel is how I'm going to say it. And Oholiab is how I'm going to say it. Every skilled person, there are people who are anointed for doing the work of the tabernacle. The Lord had given them skill and ability to know how to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary and to do the work just as the Lord had commanded. He had given Moses detailed instructions on how to do the tabernacle. The tabernacle costs billions of dollars. Things are overlaid with gold. Let's just take the Ark of the Covenant. It's a box made out of, I'm not going to say it because I might slip up. So I'll say gopher wood. How about that? Because <laughs> I might mess up. I don't want to mess up. So it's made of wood, represents our humanity. It's a picture of Jesus. Overlaid with gold, his divinity. Jesus is son of man, son of God. The ark is all about Jesus. Who then has a mercy seat, solid gold, big enough to cover the box and to have cherubim facing each other and poles that are also overlaid with gold. Can you imagine just, just that one piece of furniture? But everything is overlaid with gold or silver everywhere. And even, even the, the fabrics, just it's, it's tons of money, okay? They had been slaves, but they left Egypt and the Lord moved the hearts of the Egyptians to give them the wealth of Egypt. So they left Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. And they got out there and the Lord started saying several chapters before this, you're going to take up an offering because I've shown you these plans. It's going to take some money to do this. You're going to take up an offering. So they finally get to the time to take up the offering this is about the guys that have been anointed for the work to do the tabernacle and the furnishings. 36.2 of Exodus, Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Uh, 36.3, they received from Moses all the offerings, not the same word from, uh, from Genesis chapter 4, but a similar word. Again, gifts, tribute, all this kind of thing, sacrifices. The Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary, and the people continued to bring free will. That's voluntary. That means the people had hearts that wanted to give. They're under no obligation. It's free will. It's voluntary. It's their choice. And they're bringing every morning, they're bringing offerings for the work of the tabernacle and the furnishings. 36.4 of Exodus, so all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing. Verse 5, and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough 
for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. More than enough. More than enough. You know why that's important? Because Jesus, whose blood has a greater saying than Abel's, was more than enough for all of us. And he was a voluntary gift. He gave himself freely. And he was more than enough to cover all of us. All of us for all time. That is Jesus, more than enough. He's an overpayment for every debt we ever had. That's why he said it is finished. The debt is paid. Put on there, paid. Right? Verse 6 of Exodus 36. Then Moses gave an order. He decreed. Some of you intercessors, there's a decree. And they sent this word. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. Sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman, so it wasn't just men bringing, women were bringing, to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Stop giving. And so the people look. Look at this word, were restrained from bringing more. That's a pretty interesting word, were restrained. That says to me that they still had a heart to give and they were abiding by the decree, but they didn't want to. They still wanted to give. It isn't like, Danny, you ain't got to bring anything else. Okay, Whew, thanks, good. I was running out of stuff. <laughs> No, but like people like, are you sure? I mean, people with handfuls of gold and silver. Are you, are you sure? Well, how about just this? No, no. We're closed. No, no. People beating on the door. Well, just this. No, no. People are restrained from giving more. In verse 7, because what they had already done was more than enough to do all the work. More than enough. Only God, only God can bring in a person a heart to give like that. Only God can bring in a people a heart to give like that. It's the way that God gives. Boy, that's hot. I don't know if you can feel it or not. Papa said, shiver me timbers. That's how I feel from, from my feet all the way through. I just feel this heat of that word. Jesus is more than enough, and he's left us the pattern for giving, for offerings to the Lord. And he's the only one who can change our hearts from Cain to Abel. From someone who wants to possess things to someone who's a spirit man. Right? Isn't that cool? So, at 12.30, I'm so sorry. Uh, praise team, y'all go ahead and come up here quick. <laughs> quick. I've been waiting for y'all all this time. Where have you been? I've had to talk and talk and talk because y'all wouldn't come up here. 
Now, I, I do want to say this. If I was trying to manipulate y'all into giving, I'd have held the offering till after the sermon. Now, there would not have been anything wrong with that because the Lord convicts people in everything based on the word. It would have been an appropriate thing. So if anybody's ever done that, that's fine. But I don't want a hint, a hint of anything that says I'm trying to get you to do something because it's useless unless it's a response to what the Lord is saying. Right? That's what, Cain was bringing something out of obligation or expectation or whatever. I don't want that at all. But whatever the Lord says, whatever your conversation with the Lord, whatever the Word speaks to you, that's a totally different thing. You haven't got to see Bobby with an offering thing till next week, so you got plenty of time to forget this. <laughs> or roll with it, either one. So. Is everybody saved? Everybody saved. Okay, well, we're going to have communion. If you need to go, go. If you want to stay and worship, you can. And the prayer room's right there if you need prayer. So, thanks for coming on my birthday. I, I will tell you that there is a January 28th prediction of who will be in the Super Bowl. And we'll just see if it happens or not. But the Ravens, Baltimore, has won a Super Bowl on January 28th. And the 49ers have, a, have won a Super Bowl on the 28th of January. The Cowboys have too, but they're out of it. But the 49ers and the Ravens are still in it. So we'll see if the January 28th prediction comes true. That's not really necessarily who I'm pulling for, but, but that is true. There's only been three Super Bowls on January 28th, and, and two of the winners of those three are in the playoffs right now. I know most of you could care less, but some of you really like that. Like, Go Bills. <laughs> Go Bills, that's right. It's one of the teams I was pulling for. <laughs> yeah. uh, and also some undisclosed team that... Uh, so. Mm. so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the way you have blessed us. We recognize that every blessing we have comes from you. There is nothing we can do in our own strength. You have given us every blessing. And we thank you for Jesus, who truly was more than enough and overpayment for all our sin. We thank you that as we eat from this bread, that we're aware of him giving his body freely for us and that by his stripes we're healed. And as we drink from the cup, we're aware that his blood cries out with a greater, a greater voice than the blood of Abel and that he cries for mercy and forgiveness and redemption and we, we're so grateful for that thank you Jesus for loving us like that and so meet with us have conversations with us as we eat and drink today and uh, again Lord we want to be pleasing in your sight and we want to be a blessing to you and we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.